Season 4 of Angel is brought to you by LinkedIn. You already know LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. Go to linkedin.com slash angel and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. Zeus Living gives you a place to come home to for trips of 30 days or more. Stay with Zeus for beautiful, thoughtfully furnished housing. Go to zeusliving.com slash angel for $200 off your first booking. And Assure is the leading provider of special purpose vehicles and fund administration. With over 5,000 completed transactions and $2.5 billion under administration, Angel listeners can get 20% off their first SPV at assure.co slash angel. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 5 of Angel, the podcast. This is our third season, thanks to the partners who made it possible. We couldn't do this podcast without the support of the, with the partners. And so when you hear me read the partner ads... Uh, I know you may have heard them many times. Don't skip them. Listen to them. And then if you really want to help out the podcast and be a friend of the pod, which we have been doing for over a decade and we do it for free, go ahead and try those products or at least tweet, hey, thanks to at name of the company on Twitter for supporting the podcast. Really appreciate it. When they see that, the marketing people and the growth people and the CEOs of those companies are like, oh, wow, people are listening. That's cool. And they appreciate the support. Uh, And this season, we wanted to talk to downstream investors from angels and from ser- series A seed people, the people have billions of dollars under management. Now, many times they have a scout program or seed program, so they're doing that as well. But we wanted to talk about venture at scale, the big firms, the ones that make the big checks and then work backwards to how they interface with the early stage investors. Today on the program, uh, Ajay Agarwal. Got you it. hit that G on yeah, the Yeah, you hit one. it. You hit it. Perfect. Agarwal. We are talking before the show about pronouncing names of... Indian people, or people just people general Greeks too, yeah. who have no, difficult Greece, names. Exactly, and so pretty universal. People are now making an effort to do it. They are, which yeah. must feel nice. It's great. It's good intent. It's very good intent, definitely. But when you were coming up, not, not the case in elementary school, but you know, yeah, they were times just like change. AJ Aja <laughs> yeah. Ajar. What what the hell? Something. Name? Yeah, teachers too probably made oh, fun yeah. of it. Yeah, they didn't make fun of it, but you know, in that era, yeah. some tried, some didn't. You know? Yeah, no, with Calicanus, yeah. they were like, we should call you Cali. Yeah, there you go. And that's like, no, my <laughs> parents might not be super- They wouldn't be psyched. It was really yeah. funny on Preet Bahara's um, podcast. Uh, he's got two of them. Uh, one is called Stay Tuned, and then he has a paid one on Mondays with Andrew Milgram called Cafe Insider. Okay. Like Cafe.com. It's really good because he goes even wonkier. Yeah. And he goes my, super deep. Yeah. That's my thesis on podcasts. The wonkier, yeah. the better. The better. Do not yeah. assume that you have to explain everything to the audience. Exactly. Let the audience jump into totally. a conversation with experts. Definitely. And yeah, maybe they're a little overwhelmed. Maybe they, uh, sometimes I'm listening to his podcast, I'm yeah. typing in the words into Google and trying to understand what they're saying. Yeah. And it's great to get that background. So I, I, I love that. It's I, like it's immersion. Awesome. Yeah. But he had Anand mm, Giri Dahadadas. Dahadadas, right. Dahadadas. Giri Dahadadas, yes. who wrote Winner Takes All or The Winners Take All. Did you read the book? I've not read the book. I'm it's familiar a, with the a, book, but. It's a pretty good book. He, he makes some good points about late stage capitalism, which is the term people use to say capitalism is ending. It's late stage capitalism. That's right. Do you think capitalism is broken? And as a venture capitalist and as somebody who believes, obviously, and has dedicated his life's work to funding companies, how does it feel? And I think we're probably in, in the similar age category, Gen Xers. How does it feel having spent our lives looking at capitalism, entrepreneurship, founders, startups, the creation of jobs, the creation of products and services that drive the human species forward to now be hated um, held in contempt by a significant minority of the population in America. Well, I think. Do you think about it? I do. Because I've been I thinking do. about it. I definitely think about it. Yeah. Um, I think what about is at it, the core of it? You know, I think about it as a venture capitalist. I think about it as a citizen of the country, as a citizen of the world. Yeah. You know, well, and um, your parents immigrated. And my parents immigrated here, uh, you know, in the I'm really early 70s. What they think about it. Yeah. You know, I think they, look, they came here for the reason that so many immigrants come here, which is, you know, America for them and for me is a place of opportunity. It's the reason why immigrants from all over the world come to America, because it's a place where anyone, theoretically, uh, with hard work, um, 
can accomplish something. Um, now, I think that notion of the American dream in many ways has eroded um, in this current era. And, you know, as a citizen of the country, I believe we need to invest more heavily in making that dream still be the case. You yeah. know, I think the level of, you know, social mobility in this country is, you know, at, uh, from what I've read at the lowest level it's been in, you know, 50, 60 years, you know, the education systems have, have eroded. Um, you the know, public we, education public system education. is not good. It's not good, right? It's not good. It's eroded. I think we're in like the the high teens in terms of globally. Oh, it's horrible. We should be in the top Absolutely. three. No, for, for sure. Uh, it's not even close. And so when you think about, you know, my childhood, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I went to a public school. The schools were great. Um, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah, great town. Indian and, immigrant parents in, in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh. Steel yeah. town. Steel town. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge Steeler fan yeah. to this day. And um, But that's what it's all about, that, that you can come to this country, you can get an education, you have freedom, you have the ability to go pursue your dreams. And I think for a huge swath of the population, that is not the case anymore in this country. And I think that truly is something that needs to be addressed. Now, what is the culprit of that? Is it... Is it capitalism? Is it the way government. We, you know, the government, our policies, and how those policies have evolved? And so I think it's a school unions, school unions, the quality of schools. I mean, there's so many factors at yeah. play. And so I think it's, you know, capitalism, technology are, you know, easy targets. And, and certainly I would say folks in our industry, you know, have, you know, not made it easy for themselves in terms yeah. of. <laughs> How they've you know gone about addressing this dialogue, and I think the level of you know folks who are just tone deaf to this issue. But the reality is, innovation is the engine of our economy. Mm -hmm. It has been. If you look at the pace of of change from uh, from an innovation standpoint for hundreds of years, it's been a steady march. And I think at every uh, technology innovation and dislocation. There are going to be, there is going to be change, and some of that change is going to be painful. Um, but the reality is, uh, you know, globally, wages, poverty levels, uh, infant mortality, I mean, everything is the best it's ever been. You know, and, and Steven Pinker wrote this great book where he just shows you chart after chart after chart yeah. um, how much better the world is today than it's been at any other time in history. Now, again, that doesn't mean people, in this country and around the world aren't, you know, It doesn't hurting, mean suffering you know. doesn't exist. Exactly. It means suffering is being reduced at a level that is inspiring. That's right. And should make us incredibly optimistic. Absolutely. Yet, if you open up Twitter, it's not good enough for some people. Some people would like to focus only on that which is wrong in the world, um, which in a way is noble in their minds, I believe, but I don't think they're actually doing a service. And I think one of the core things that you said about this upward mobility and why is it not happening, it's confounding to me, and it's a very hard discussion for people to have, I think, because while we're not seeing upward mobility, the information and the educational system, as broken as it is, a new one is emerging or has emerged where the answer to every question, a lesson on every subject is now available for free everywhere online. Yet people either don't know or more likely they do know it's there but do not have the inspiration, motivation, energy. I mean, some word, and it's very difficult for people to say this, but if you really wanted to learn how to be a developer or a product manager, you can go or a designer, all of that content is available. And when we were growing up, I think we're similar ages. How old are you? Uh, you're 40? Just turned 50. You just turned 50. I'm 49. 50. Oh, there you go. Why do you yeah. look like you're 40 and I look like I'm 60? <laughs> no, Jesus no, no. Christ, RJ, what are you drinking? Uh, sure, what is you know, it? A lot of coffee. A lot of, a lot coffee, of coffee, that's it? Yeah, they say, you look great. They kid. say four to five cups a day is now considered healthy. That's great. I'm it's gonna, just great. All I have to do yeah. is take out three yeah. cups. Get and a I'm couple good. more, yeah. Just exactly. take out three and I'm in the right. zone. This is thing. You grew up with immigrant parents. I'm assuming that they pushed you hard on education. Did they? They did. They yep, did. Absolutely. And at that time, for you to get an education required that you went to the library and got books. 
There was no online at the time. Correct. We lived through 300, 1,200, 2,400 board, 9,600 board modems, which, by the way, is painful. That's right. You can watch the text, draw on the screen, sentence <laughs> yeah. by sentence. You oh, remember yeah. it. I remember. I remember it. Yeah. You had to go fight to find that knowledge. You had to fight to find those books. You had to, like, actually acquiring a well, book. I, I agree with all that, but I think in fairness, it, it was hard, but in fairness, I had a huge advantage, right? And my advantage was I had two parents who were very focused on their kids, who invested the time. My dad had the benefit of a high-quality job. Um, what did he do? He was a physician. Oh, and, wow. And so he- Did he get his education here or in India? He got trained originally in India, and then we moved to, they moved to uh, the United Kingdom uh, oh. to get further trained. That's where I was born. I was born wow. in Wales, uh, Cardiff, Wales. Um, little known fact. And then they, my dad got a job in Pittsburgh. So he had a great job. He was highly educated. Um, and, uh, and so as a result, you know, my dad and my mom were not thinking about their next paycheck. They were not thinking about how to put, you know, a meal on the table. And so instead, they could focus on mm. making sure their kids had access to education, making sure they spent the time uh, pushing us uh, and so forth. And so you compare that to, I think, many families, you know, in this country today. Single parent where, working three you know, jobs. Single no parent. to spend you know, any time with the Multiple kids, shifts or. Exhausted when they get home. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think that's the real tragedy here because I do think a lot of this does start in the home. And, you know, we can provide technology. We can provide resources we can invest in our schools but a lot of this starts at the home and when you have either single parents who are overworked or a parent who's out of a job and doesn't feel a sense of fulfillment um, and a sense of purpose because they lost their job I think that's that's really at the root of it and I think it has a cascading effect then on the kids and this next generation and their upward mobility as a result there of it. is a um a theory in psychology learned helplessness, people give up on trying. So the situation could have changed dramatically, but if they've been beaten down and they've been feel that there's no route out, then they give up trying. This is, I think, one of the hard discussions we have to think about is that the situation could have changed materially over the last 20, 30 years with information being available. But there is a group of people, and I see it amongst elite white you know uh folks who will argue with me that poor people cannot come up they cannot actually rise and i'm like it, is that a bit racist that you believe that a group of a population cannot go online and learn a new skill it feels to me a little racist like it, it might be that they don't know that the information is available but it might also be that uh, you're underestimating people because in the line of work we have, we see people all the time who've come from very difficult circumstances. So when we get back from this quick break, I want to talk to you about what it is that is magical about entrepreneurship and capitalism and founders to you yep. that has led to you dedicating your life to supporting them when we get back on Angel, the podcast. Hey, everybody. Instead of me reading you copy in an ad about LinkedIn Talent Solutions, I thought, you know what would be a great idea? Who made LinkedIn Talent Solutions? Who's the product manager? Give me the head of product, and let's talk about why this product is so awesome. We've had so many great hires with me today. Blake Barnes, the head of product for LinkedIn Talent Solutions. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. Big fan. All right. Uh, thanks for that. When you are a growing business, SMB, a quick startup, whatever it is, you really want to focus on growing your business, right? right. That's where your energy and your focus needs to be. And so you don't really have much time to think about your end-to-end -end recruiting needs, like to build a sense of strategy, these sorts of things. You need solutions that do that for you, that bring it to you. Uh, and we have a whole range of tools that do that. You're mentioning one of them, um, but there are plenty others. So let's talk about screening tools. Mm. We have a whole suite of screening tools that help you to understand more about the candidate as soon as they arrive in your inbox. There are specific questions you can ask your candidates so that every candidate gets that question. I love that part. It's really cool, right? And you know, it's interesting. You know, with screening questions, uh, we find that 80% of jobs that have this one or more screening questions get a qualified applicant in just 24 hours. And so these screening questions are really effective and useful for our hires. It's been pretty amazing so far. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. 
you can pay what you want. And you get the first 50, 5 for free for my man Blake. Just visit linkedin.com slash angel, A-N-G-E-L. Again, linkedin.com slash angel. And you get 50, 5 right now. Terms and conditions apply because they're giving you 50. Thanks again, Blake, for coming on the pod. And thanks for this big stack of 50s here for me to give out to all the Twist fans. The Happy Angel to fans. be here. And of course, anytime. Welcome back to Angel, the podcast, episode five of a great season. Um, if you didn't hear the uh, Dan Rose or Sarah from Index, we've got some great, great guests this season. Uh, and Ajay Agarwal is really bringing the heat already. We're talking about entrepreneurship, late-stage capitalism, a derogatory term, meaning capitalism is going away. I don't believe it is. I think it's going to come back even stronger. I think some people maybe don't appreciate what capitalism and entrepreneurs and founders bring to the world. Um, we're talking a little bit about education. Obviously, there's work to be done. Um, and uh, But I'm optimistic. You're optimistic. I'm optimistic, for sure. What is it about founders and capitalism and creating companies that you find so appealing that you've dedicated your life to it? Well, you know, I think there's nothing quite like you know, starting something from, from scratch, from, from seeing something that's purely an idea, particularly when resources are constrained by mm-hmm. definition, and that turns into something real. And, and you know, for me, it manifests itself in the work that I do, but also, you know, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, upward mobility in this country. You know, I've had the benefit of, you know, being on this board called build.org. And, and the whole concept of build is it goes into organizations in East Palo Alto and Oakland and, and DC and Boston. And the kids, uh, in these high schools learn entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is start a company. You know, and they start T-shirt companies, they start cookie companies, they start companies to, you know, come up with all kinds of creative problems that they're having. You know, one one team started a company where you could tie something to your shoe. So if you had to stick, a, you know, a credit card or a dollar bill and you wanted to go running and, and, you know, pick up something on the way, you didn't have to carry it. And so all kinds of creative things. And what, you know, the amazing thing about the program is is just the sense of fulfillment that, our students have standing up on stage, presenting their business plan, running their business, you know, where in so many other aspects of their life, you know, it's a struggle. And here they learn what it's like to take limited resources and create something out of scratch. And so to me, that really is what's so magical about entrepreneurship. It's and the manifestation of something from nothing. Exactly. Limited resources. With limited and resources. pressure That's right. creating that diamond. Totally. Totally. And, the and sand in the oyster creating the pearl. Exactly. You know, and, and so I, I had the benefit, you know, very early on in college. Um, you know, when I got to college, my advisor, first week of college, said to me, he was a, a CS professor. Um, and he said to me, look, you've got this next four years. My advice is don't worry about your grades. Don't take the minimum classes you need to take to get your major. And then use the rest of the time to go start a company, go overseas, you know, try out things you've never Life. tried before. Life, you know. And so beginning of sophomore year, I show up back on campus and he calls me up and he said, remember I mentioned starting a company? He said, there's someone you should meet. Which college is uh, this? This is at Stanford. Yeah. Um, and so he introduces me to uh, a classmate, you know, who's a year ahead of me. I was a sophomore and, and uh, the student, Joe Lemont was a year ahead of me and I sat down with him and we grabbed a coffee on campus and you know I was I was majoring in electrical engineering I you know my my parents weren't in business I didn't know anything about business and the first thing Joe says to me he said you know what the two greatest businesses are in the world and I said I have no idea I have no clue what you're talking about he said the two greatest businesses in the world and you know remember he's 19 years old he said our biotech and enterprise software. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, well, first of all, I don't, I, I sort of know what biotech is. I don't, really don't know what enterprise software is. And he goes on to say that the only two businesses in the world that have 99% gross margins, you know, oh. and here was this 19 year old who had that insight. Define gross margins for people who are listening and have never heard that term. And because it is one yeah. of those terms that are confusing to people. That's right. Explain what that means and why it's so powerful and investors are obsessed with it. So gross margin is essentially um, the amount of money that you get to keep when you deliver a product or service and you subtract 
out the cost of delivering that service. And so if I'm selling groceries for a bag of groceries for $30, but it costs me $25 as the grocery store to buy those groceries from, you know, Procter and Gamble, you know, five divided by 30 is my gross margin, you know, which is, what is that? Less than 20%. Um, And the beauty of software is that it's purely digital. Yeah. You, I can sell the same piece of software over and over and over again to hundreds, millions of people without any incremental cost. Now, there are some costs such as, you know, Amazon web hosting and, and so on and so forth. And when you say incremental cost for somebody who is 19 years old listening to That's this right. and is, you know, AJ in whatever it was, 1988, yeah. 1987 yeah. or 89, I guess. Yeah. What does that mean, the incremental cost? W- what that means is once you've spent the money to actually get back in those days, you had to install the software. This was not you know, pre-cloud package software. Package putting software. it on a server. You, know, yeah. you had to get it on a server. So you would spend money to send someone to a company's office, implement the software, yeah. get it up and running. So that first year gross margin would be lower because you've now invested all. You this had the cost. cost of putting it on a server. That's right, yeah. cost of putting it on a server. But from that point forward, it's basically. A hundred percent profit, and right. especially in those days, because you didn't have hosting costs, it was right. on premise, sitting on site at the customer. And yes, you had to provide some basic bug fixes and maintenance and all of that, but it was essentially pure profit. Right. And, and, and that would, was, and that money you would actually charge for. So a way for right. a young person listening to the pod right now, and a lot of young people are listening to this in their you know freshman, sophomore, junior year of high school. That's right. A lot of high yeah. school people listen oh, to yeah. the podcast because I meet them. When they graduate college yep. or they're in college, and I like, literally was at Stanford talking to some MBA students, yeah. and they were like, yeah, I've been listening to the podcast. One of them was like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's great. He's like, yeah, we listened to undergrad. And I was like, so oh, that's cool. awesome, dude. That's awesome. Listen for like six years. He's oh, like, yeah. well, we also listened to it when I was a senior in high school. Very the Entrepreneur cool. Club would listen to things. That's great. The magic of this is if you were just thinking about Fortnite, a video game, the millionth customer of Fortnite who's paying, you know, spending $100 a year on something, they don't cost Fortnite any exactly. more money. Exactly. And the 10 millionth cost no money. That's right. Absolutely. And the 100th millionth cost no money. So that's why something like Minecraft or Instagram or any of these or com.com, the meditation app, the the millionth user or the five millionth user, there's likely no cost to them. There might be a cost to acquire them, but that's that's not gross margin. Gross margin is about what it costs to provide the product. That's right. And what the incremental cost is to provide it again. Exactly. And providing right. it again used to be putting it in a box. So there That's was $10 right. there was to make cost. a CD-ROM right. exactly. to sell a $300 license That's to right. Photoshop. Totally. So, But it was still de minimis. It was 3% in that case. Exactly. But now it's because of people delivering it as a yeah. subscription in the web. That's right. It's gotten even more. Exactly. Then you look it, at a service like Uber or Airbnb. Yeah. There is a cost involved in, right. and the margin is much lower. It's much lower. That's right, and and so, so they have to the, be bigger. They're they not to, bad businesses. They're great businesses, but it, you know it's a lower gross margin business. And so Joe's insight back then was, and he said of the two, I like enterprise software better. And I said why? He said well, you know biotech, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. You have no idea if your drugs going to actually work or get through FDA. But enterprise software, it's all in your control. And he said the other beauty of enterprise software was once a company starts using it, they don't rip it out. Mm. It's ingrained in their in their workflow. And so that was the other thing that he knew at age 19 I, that I didn't know. I love a subscription um, business. You know, that you're in there and people are using it and they're relying on your software to get their work done on a day-to-day basis. You're integrated into the guts of the company. And that is the beauty of enterprise software, which is it's hard to rip out. The company, you know, their basic business processes are relying on it. And it's ninety, effectively ninety nine percent incremental. Even if you just say ninety, ninety percent, eighty percent, yeah, ninety percent, eighty percent. It's absurd. Yeah, some crazy number compared to yeah. It's like it's it, it, as in the food business. Like people used to always just laugh at a slice of pizza. Like that's right. Is like the greatest business yeah. ever. Like oh, yeah. You can have a tiny little hole in the that's wall, right. and you're selling them flour, oh, yeah. cheese, flour, and water, some, and yeah, cheese. Yeah. It's like not yeah, much, that's right? right. Like, and the, the margin is incredible. It's great Nothing margin. compared to Nothing software. Compared to software. The other amazing part of this is. There is so little friction today compared to when That's you were right. having that discussion. I was a Novell network engineer at that oh, time. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's wow. Like Novell yeah. Networks. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, for Mike Savino. It's a blast from the past. Putting in, like, uh, literally putting in 
document management software, yeah. which would allow people using WordPerfect, our law firm, to actually have revisioning oh, wow. and to organize their yeah. documents and be able That's to right. look up a document in a database totally. as, because there was no Dropbox exactly. or cloud storage. Absolutely. There was no cloud. There was no cloud. So you had to put the cloud into That's it. That's right. Putting all that aside, it used to be a tremendously um, a tremendous struggle to get people to make the decision to put in enterprise software. That's right. You had to take the CTO, the VP of this, the top lawyer out to golf, to the Knicks game. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Wherever. Um, and then they would put a million dollars up. Now you, you turn on Slack or Notion or Salesforce or whatever, and they're like, Zendesk. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's free. It's free for the first month or a year. That's and now right. we have people who sponsor the show who are doing SaaS products. And like, by the way, if you're a startup and you've raised under $10 million, yep. And you're before your Series B, you can use whatever it is, HubSpot, totally. Zendesk, for free for the first year. That's right. We don't care. Yeah. Because it's that high margin because they realize it. So this and some of those companies of will become big. Yeah, it's great. To try it. Totally. I mean, I think that's as important as the margin. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's you know, been fun to watch just how this industry has changed. And so, you know, back in the 80s, the startup that Joe and I did, we were selling, you know, what you'd call today CRM to startups up and down El Camino. We'd go to a startup and say, wouldn't it be great if you had one database to manage your quotes and your proposals and all mm -hmm. the customers you're trying to work on, you know, all your prospects? Wouldn't that be awesome? And by the way, for and, people who are wondering what El Camino is, El, it's not a car. It's El Camino Real. El Camino Real. Which yeah. is used to be the highway that That's connected right. San Francisco <laughs> so to the, the peninsula yeah, here. Exactly. Now it's just a four lane it's or just a four six lane, lane yeah. highway. Exactly. <laughs> road. Exactly. It's a road. In between and, the 280 yeah. and the 101. And you know, back then the startups were down in the peninsula. Yeah. They weren't up in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and you know, that era was all about exactly what you said. You know, in the nineties you go out knock on doors. You knock on doors. Hey, you, we can make your you life know, easier. You you get in front of um, you know the you know, the boardroom, you pitch this grand vision of enterprise software. The positive of that era was you got all the money up front. You know, so we would- That was a nice thing. You know, instead of getting it over 10 years or on an annualized basis- You a million dollars right you know, now. We got Oof. the check up front, our contracts. And so at, anyway, long story short, after that startup, this guy Joe dropped out. He started a second company called Trilogy Software. Oh, wow. Um, Trilogy was big. Yeah, Trilogy was big. I joined uh, a few years later. I decided to graduate. And uh, I joined as employee 18, and I ran product and go to market there. And Trilogy is a classic big deal business. And, mm -hmm. and we, you know, we would go to these large corporations, and we'd sell the dream and sell the vision. And our goal is to walk out with a $10 million check. And the day they signed the contract, they literally, within a week, had to wire us the full amount of money, 100% of the money. Right. And then on Talk top of that- Talk about friction. I yeah. mean, this made it a six to 12-month sales it cycle? It was you know, 12 months, 18 months. And I mean- you know, some of the stories from that era are crazy. I mean, I remember we were trying to sell um, this uh, paper and packaging uh, company down in the South. And, um, you know, we were working with our champion. He said, okay, I'm going to get you in front of the senior executives. And, you know, our goal ultimately is part of these sales cycles is eventually get to the C-suite, sell the dream. What's the value you know? of this deal? You know, our typical deal size is $5 million. Okay, so when we get back from this quick break, yeah. I want you to tell the audience what happened with that okay, paper perfect. meal deal when we get back on Angel of Podcast. Zeus Living makes it easy for you to live wherever opportunity takes you. Yes, whether you're connecting with investors on the other side of the country or opening an office in a new city, Zeus offers smart, furnished housing that's cozy and convenient. Zeus can accommodate 30-day stays, and they include all the important stuff like cleaning supplies, kitchenware, toiletries, and options like downtown one-bedrooms or a single-family home in a neighborhood you want to explore, flexible booking dates, immediate availability, and minimal paperwork. All of these come with high-speed Wi-Fi, obviously Xfinity, and a smart TV. That's all standard. You don't have to think about it. You can just move around, be nomadic. And Zeus is the hassle-free way to streamline your next stay. You can find Zeus Living, Z-E-U-S, in San Francisco in the Bay Area, Los Angeles, Seattle, the New York metro area, Washington, D.C., and even Boston. Rest assured, you, your family, and your pets will be secure with their digital locks and 24-7 on-the-ground support. For a limited time, Zeus is offering $200 off your first booking for Angel Podcast listeners. Wow, that's very generous. Get the 200 not 100 not a 50 200 
by going to zeusliving.com slash angel. That's two hundred right now on J-Cal and Zeus. Visit zeusliving.com slash angel and explore all their beautiful homes. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. My guest today, Ajay Agarwal. You hit the G. Agarwal. I try to hit the G. Yeah. Agarwal. Uh, He is a partner at Bain Capital. Bain has how much under management? Our venture group has about six billion Amazing. under management. Bain yeah. Capital overall, which includes you know a set of other funds, about a hundred billion. That's overall. private equity, private hedge equity. Fund stuff. We have a hedge fund. We have a real estate fund. We have a life sciences fund. Was it Mitt Romney at Bain? Mitt Romney is one of the founders of Bain. One of the capital. founders of yeah. Bain. Way back. Did when. you see his speech? I did. I How did. moving was that? It was incredible. It was truly it incredible. Was, I mean, yeah. did that reverberate through Bain? Does people do people even know he worked there I these think, days? No, people do, for yeah, sure. No, people do. I mean, he wasn't there when I got there. Got so, um, but certainly, I think that speech, uh, you know, I think all across, you know, America. the various communities we're in, that speech, you know, had an impact. And a friend of mine who's in Utah recently uh, said, you know, he got landed at the airport and saw a giant billboard and it said, thank you, Mitt, for being you know, uh, uh, just a hero to us, yeah. you know, and, and so- Just a good American. Yeah, exactly. It's like we, we live in times when people think that ethics and morals don't matter and, you know, cheating or getting an edge is allowable. And That's right. It's not why your parents came to this country. Exactly. It's not why they took that That's risk. Right. Absolutely. It's not why our parents, all of them worked so hard totally. to, to, to try to make a better future for I us. Agree. And it's just great for somebody to say, you know what? I, I know this is my team, but I got to put my foot down and say, you know, my team can make a mistake too. That's right. It's not about whose team you're on. That's it's just right. a matter about the behavior, objectively totally. well, bad Well, theoretically, behavior. we should be on the same team, right? I mean, that's- Well, that's the problem with yeah, America now is right. we used to be, if we were conservatives yeah. uh, or fantastically liberal, you could at least be like, you know what? We're Americans. That's right. Right? Exactly. And yeah, oh, maybe San Francisco is a little weird and I'm that's from right. Nashville yeah. or Texas, totally. but you know, we're Americans at the end exactly. of the day. We both yep. salute the same flag. Exactly. And now people are like, yeah, the flag doesn't mean much yeah, to me. Totally. That's just heartbreaking. It is. It's too bad. It's also weird too. Like when you think about when we grew up, we were told that assimilation, the melting pot was what made the country strong. Yep. And now for me to just say that, I, mean, I don't care about getting yeah. canceled. Screw yeah. it. I bet. Yeah. To be honest, yep. if I got canceled yep. and I could retire right now, that would be my dream. So I am, I am free. I'm uncancelable right now. C- cool. You know what cancel C- means completely to unfettered. me? Yeah. Cancel means I go skiing with my brother a yeah. hundred days a year. For the for the yeah. love of God, please yeah. figure out a way to cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> I know everybody here yeah, needs open the job. invitation. Yeah, there you go. But here I'm going to say it right now. America was based upon. They taught us this in school. Whatever culture you have is valid, but it's not as important as the culture you're about to enter because this is the super culture where you contribute what you learned in India, what you bring to the table, your uh, religion, your uh, cuisine, your way of dressing, your movies. And I bring my Greek and Irish heritage. That's right. And we mix them together. together. And I can say, exactly. you, chick- you got that chicken makhni? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, that butter exactly. chicken? So good. Wait till you yeah. try my Hispanic copatas yeah. and Saganaki to fried yeah, cheese. totally. And we could sit there and that was a good thing. Yeah. Now, it's cultural appropriation and it's a bad thing. This generation thinks that blending our cultures together and making a, a monoculture, a uniculture that we all get to contribute to is a negative. They think that that's, by the way, that's why this country kicks ass. It's because Indians can come to Pittsburgh. Exactly. And assimilate and fit in. It might not have been, it might have been a little edgy at times. Well, look, I mean, I think that um, could have been. Yeah, no. Look, you know, the reality I think is that certainly it's there's always a, a healthy tension, right? You you want to be able to respect and allow people to pursue the way they want to live, you yes. know, and you're free uh, to do it, and you're free to do it, and your traditions and. You know, uh, as an immigrant, you can choose to, you know, speak the language. You can choose not to speak the language. That's, you know, that truly is what makes America great. You have the freedom to do it. But I agree. I think what's always been so powerful about America is that it is this melting pot and you come and you're you're part of it. And, you know, as an immigrant, it's fun to see 
a lot of the Indian culture and tradition now become more mainstream. You know, it was amazing. You know, the dancing, the dancing, like, the food. Just to watch memes. Yeah, like young people are doing memes of Bollywood dancers oh, yeah. saying, "I'm going into Monday." Totally doing that yeah. dance. Oh like, yeah, the, when they, yeah, the bhangra. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the bhangra. The bhangra. Yeah, bhangra. Yeah, I love the bhangra. Oh, yeah, totally. Who it's doesn't? Incredible. Yeah, it's great. And, and like, I had an obsession with chicken makni. Yeah. Am I pronouncing it correct? Chicken, chicken makni. 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 I mean. This is yeah. the greatest dish ever. Have so you? good. You've had it. Of course. That's yeah. Northern Indian, Southern Indian? Northern Indian. It's Northern Northern Indian. Indian, yeah. Yeah, so all of that food, like chicken makhni, uh, tandoori chicken, all comes from uh, Persia. And oh, so it's, when, it's all Persian originally, uh, yeah. So when the Mughal Empire got built in the, I, didn't know that. I think, 1500s. Goat brain? They brought all that. Not for me. Goat brain's not for me either. Not I'm for not me. A go- I'm not a goat person, no. Guy, yeah. my guy at the Pakistani yeah. Tea House in, on Church Street yep. in Dwayne in Manhattan. Yep. I used to go there three, four in the morning and get the chicken makhni with yeah. the naan bread. Oh, there you go. Well, he tried to sell me on the goat brain. Yeah. It's like, this is the best goat brain. I'm just like, you know. I, I've had goat before, not goat brain, but- Goat is yeah. delicious. Yeah, goat is very good. Yeah. Goat's delicious. Yeah. Goat brain? Yeah. Bridge too far for me. That's too far Chicken for feet, no. Yeah. Yeah. So we can assimilate. I agree. But there might be some things that are <laughs> that's not. That's right. <laughs> you know, Definitely. Yep. You do have some yep. choice. That's right. Definitely. I thought the most incredible one was a woman went to her prom okay. and wore a traditional Chinese like one-piece dress that fits all the way up to the oh, yeah. I don't know the name yeah. of it. And she, 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 you know, whatever, just tweeted and yeah. Instagrammed it. And like somebody was just like on Twitter like, my culture is not your, you know, punchline for your prom dress. Yeah. And it was like. And she gets like, they're trying to cancel yeah. this poor like 17 oh, year old girl going to a yeah, prom. That's terrible. Just because she thought this was a beautiful dress that's and she terrible. wanted to wear a Chinese dress. The New York Times, yeah. God bless them. Like, yeah. Because they're totally like hysterical yeah. now since they picked a side. Yeah. They went to China. It was a really good idea. Yeah. And in the Chinese Bureau, somebody went to Chinese people and said, this woman in America yeah. wore this to her like graduation party, right. you know, thing. They explained what the problem was. Yeah. What do you think? And they were like, oh. They loved it. So touched. Yeah, they loved it. I'm sure. Oh my god. Yeah. Thank you for absolutely that beautiful, uh, you know, respect you gave to our culture. And this is where intent kind of really matters. I agree. All right, let's go back to El Camino Real. You're selling trilogy software. Selling software. I mean, but this is how the world's changed. You know, like thankfully, in many ways, software. You know, I I think the fact that software is not sold this way is a good thing. Yeah. And I prefer investing companies that don't rely on this, but. You know, back in those days, we're, you know, we're in the sales cycle. We put in a year. Our champion says, okay, I finally got the meeting. I got the meeting. I got the CEO, the CIO, CFO. Everyone's going to be in a room together. We said, perfect. You know, and he said, you just do your pitch. And, you know, this was t- pretty typical for us. You ca- finally get to that boardroom. You make the pitch. And I would say two out of three times, you know, after a year of work, we'd get the deal. And you get the five or $10 million. He said, there's one catch. He said, you know, the, the, uh, management teams would be an offsite. And so you guys have to go to the offsite instead of coming to our office. I said, sure, no problem, wherever it is. So it turned out they were at this hunting cabin, um, you know, in the middle of South Carolina. Hu- and I'm sorry, hunting. Hunting. Had you ever hunting. killed anything and picked I, up a gun? I never hunted. No. Never pick up a gun no, in Pittsburgh? No. 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 You know, Indian parents, you know, yeah. it's not not something culturally, you know, my parents had ever. Yeah, I don't know how many guns are so, on the streets of, yeah. the, of New Delhi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so. Not allowed. You know, myself and a you know, very good friend of mine, another uh, trilogy colleague named Sudhir Kandula, we, uh, we show up at this hunting lodge and literally the executive team is all wearing camo, you know, with the orange, you know, yep. hunting vest around a table. And there's some big spread of game and stuff that they're, you know, chowing into. And, uh, you know, our champions is, you know, time for you to guys for you guys to give the presentation. I'm thinking, okay, this there's yeah. zero we're chance. On, we're, <laughs> we're not in Palo Alto yeah. anymore. <laughs> there's zero chance two Indian dudes, you know, in the middle of the woods in South Carolina, you know, are gonna pull out this deal. And I have to say it was, you know, we we gave the pitch, we gave it our best shot. I don't think any of those guys were paying any attention to mm-hmm. what we were talking about. Um and that sadly was one where we did not get the deal. But that's what it took. It took these crazy situations where you're just working it, working it, working it, trying to get there, you know, spend two years of your life, you know, wor- you know, wandering the halls, you finally get the pitch. And, you know, when you got it, it was the greatest thing, you know, in the world, you know, to get five or $10 million. Man. And so that was how we built the company. Now, the beauty of it was because we got it all up front, we got to $300 million in revenue over the course of six years from a million when we started. And 
it was profitable. I mean, mm-hmm. the business was generating $100 million a year of profit because, again, we got all the money. Yeah. And, and so we didn't have so to wait great. 10 years. And so what, what's changed about SaaS is, you know, the good news is the companies are far more durable, number one, because you start each year not at zero. We would start each year at zero. Right. You're you starting know? at either 90% of last right. year if your product is low NPS score. Exactly. Or 115% if it's high NPS score. Exactly. And you have the score, net promoter score, That's right. to know how well you're doing. Exactly. And, so you can, and you can even predict it. You can even predict it. And so, you know, I was uh, on the board of this company, SendGrid, which you know, ultimately got sold, to, went public, got sold to Twilio. Our net dollar retention was 117%. So you literally- Explain you know, net dollar retention to the audience who's listening, it, all the high schoolers who, yeah, are, so, who are building their companies so, now. They're so, about five years ahead of yeah, when we they're, started. They're, at least. They're starting um, at 14 oh, instead yeah, of 19. No, if not younger. Yeah. So net dollar retention is if you take all of the customers that you had last year and you add up the total dollars that that cohort of customers spent with you last year, and then you look at how much that same cohort, without adding or subtracting any of those companies uh, or customers, how much are they spending this year? Mm. That's called net dollar retention. What that will mean so typically- So it's the same group of people. Same group of people. But how much are they spending? Because that's right. if you were using 10 seats of Salesforce and your company doubled or you're, that's right. you only were doing a trial of five seats of Zendesk that's right. or HubSpot or whatever it is- now you might increase the number and SendGrid exactly. was sending emails. That's right. So if you did your job well and their companies were growing, they would be sending more emails. Exactly. And spend more. That's right. So in SendGrid's model, you know, startups, every startup that gets started decides at some point, okay, I have to instrument my app or my website with email. SendGrid's a market leader. I'm going to sign up for SendGrid. It's super- For transactional you know, email. For transactional email. It's super easy to get set up, easy to get started. You don't need to talk to a salesperson and just get going. Now- in a given year, some percentage of those startups would not exist. They'd go out of business. And so if we started with 100 customers, maybe at the end of the year, we'd have 80 customers. But those 80 customers throughout that time period would increase their usage of email. And wow. so those 80 customers would now spend, let's say, you know, 30 40% more. And so on a net basis, when you count for the fact that some percent have gone away, you have a net dollar retention of 117%. And so the beauty of that business is we literally could tell the, the entire staff of the company to go home for a year and the business would grow 17%. You know, so if we did 100 million one year, the next year without any, you know, work, without any new customers, just the momentum. Just the momentum we'd be 117 million. In contrast, at Trilogy, we were 300 million in revenue starting at zero and you'd effectively start at zero. Now we had some, you know, 20% maintenance, you know, and some yeah, but services. It was, de minimis. it was small, you'd start from scratch. And so the beauty of today's world is these companies are far more durable. They're more predictable. Wall Street loves it because you don't have this lumpiness. Our business is very lumpy, a trilogy. You, know, you get a big deal. Yeah, have a great quarter. Good. Then great you lose quarter. your VP of sales. Yeah, exactly. And, and the whole culture was sales driven. That's right. Which that I think is a profound difference exactly. because when the cu- culture is sales driven, yep. things get weird. They do. Now, you don't really need a sales team as much. They're more customer support, right? They're working on making sure you don't churn, making sure you don't leave. And that changes the whole nature of the company. Then who becomes the true north of the company? Who becomes the heroes in this company That's scenario right. today? Definitely. Well, today it's product for sure, ah, right? So and product leads, not it's, sales. It's product led. And, and you know, I think the transition that's occurred was, you know, in the 90s, it was, you know, sales led, big deals, you know, classic, your classic sort of caricature of, you know, uh, an account executive, you know, master of the planet going out there, you know, and slaying these giant deals. And then, you know, I think what that led to, which was, you know, a wave that got started, you know, about 10 years ago, and we're part of, you know, fortunate to be part of a company called Gainsight, which was actually customer success in a world where you now have to re-earn your, you know, living every month, every quarter, every right. year, because the customer can cancel, unlike the software before where you paid it all up front. Yep. Now you're not, and so customer success matters, and that's led to a giant wave that that Gainsight has helped propel. And now I think a world where you know so many companies now are bottoms up companies mm-hmm. where instead of thinking about a functional owner, you know, in the in the '90s in that era, you thought about I got to sell to the CFO or to the CMO or to the CIO or CIO, the, you know, yeah, head of sales, you know. But now, uh, and and that you know certainly created a lot of large enterprise software. Companies. But it also perverted the 
the the sell and how you made the software exactly. because you were selling them on some buzzwords that they That's thought right. were important exactly. as opposed to now you're selling to well now you're selling to individual users and and I think what that's done is number 1 it's changed the nature of software and and it companies are more product led and I think what that's created actually is not only an explosion of bottoms up companies but it's also created a supply chain of new software companies that are supporting the new way software is built and, and distributed. So if you think about it, how many companies have been started to help the product function, you think about Figma. We have a company in this space called Parlor. Oh, you product have Figma? Board. Uh, we, we don't have Figma. Oh. I wish we were in Figma. But Figma, that was, is that the design board. kind of? That's a design. So now you design. have a whole cohort of apps that let you design That's better right. products. Exactly. So everybody in the industry is just focused on actually providing a service that gets the job done as opposed exactly. to trying to convince a CIO that you have the latest stuff. If you're an accredited investor, you need to understand what an SPV is. That stands for Special Purpose Vehicle. This allows 250 investors to put up to $10 million into a company with only one entity on the cap table. So if you're an angel investor with a bunch of rich friends, you can start your own syndicate powered through an SPV. Here at launch, we couldn't be more pleased with our partnership with the team at Assure, A-S-S-U-R-E, by the way. They power my syndicate, which is called thesyndicate.com, which is the largest syndicate in the world. We have about 4,000 members now. And Assure is the leading provider of special purpose vehicles, SPVs, and fund administration with over $2.5 billion in AUA. That's asset under administration and over 5,000 completed transactions. The folks over at Assure have developed an innovative software platform called Glassboard to automate the entire investment experience from entity formation all the way to IPO. It's beautiful. It's slick. And Ashley, who manages my syndicate, loves the interface. Not only do investors love it, but founders love it as well as it keeps their cap tables nice and clean and simple. So to get 20% off your first special purpose vehicle, again, SPV, that's what I want you to remember, visit assure.co slash angel. That's A-S-S-U-R-E dot co slash angel. In fact, the first time I ever did one of these an SPV, you know what it was for? Calm.com, the meditation app. And that worked out really well. Yum, yum, skis. Thanks to Assure for powering my syndicate and for offering this discount to angel listeners. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Let's do the lightning round here. Yeah. Uh, which company in your portfolio that you invested in objectively has the highest revenue growth, the greatest success based on just that business metric? Though, Just incredible growth in revenue and not your favorite, yeah. not the most recent, but the one that you've invested in in the last decade that's got the highest revenue growth, that's become the great, you know, high growth company. Yeah, well, you know, I think a company that um, we've had good fortune to be part of that had just spectacular growth from the Series A, which we led, is a company called Four Kites. Four which, Kites, Four I've never Kites. heard of it. Yeah, they're, they're in the supply chain transportation huh. space, so less sexy space, but huge amount of value creation. What they do is they go to large shippers, Kraft or ConAgra, or British Petroleum, and they say to the executives there, you know how executive, you know, when you order something from Amazon, you know exactly where your stuff is. You know mm. where it is, has it left the distribution center, when it's showing up. And they said the problem is, you know, Kraft, when your truck leaves your warehouse and is heading to Walmart, you can't tell Walmart when it's going to get there, where it is, what's in that truck, when did it leave, is it on time? Right. Did it get in a traffic jam? Did it have an accident? You have no idea. Hmm. And so what they built was a system that integrated to the back end, you know, enterprise software systems like SAP, so that knew, okay, this order has to get from this distribution center to that distribution center. And then they integrated into all the telematic systems of all these trucking companies. Hmm. And there are thousands of trucking companies in, in, in the United States. It's very fragmented. So you know where they are. You know, and so you now know where they are. Now, What's cool about Four Kites is that's the initial hook. That's the wedge. You get in the door. We provide visibility. You can now tell Walmart, hey, the truck's running late. Here's why. Yep. It should be there in an hour. And but, optimizing supply chain is super important, and, especially with Apple. And it's super important. Yeah. And so, but the beauty of, of Four Kites is we know in real time how much inventory you have in your distribution center. Why do we know that? We know what truck came in. Mm -hmm. We know what truck left. We know what was on the truck that came in. We know what was on the truck that left. So our ability now to actually provide a real-time view into supply chain 
incredibly powerful. So the business has grown grown like a weed. It's been crazy. Uh, here's a painful question. Yeah. Tell me about the company that came in to pitch you that you couldn't get your partners uh, to agree on and you couldn't get there in terms of writing the check, but that is the biggest loss, the, the anti-portfolio, the missed investment. I would say, yeah, it's painful to talk about it, but I, 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 it. I, I would say <clears throat> that the example that jumps to mind is Pinterest. Um, wow. And the backstory Another there, great Indian founder, right? Uh, not an Indian founder, Ben, was, ben Silverman. That, I thought he was Indian. No, no. At huh. least as well, maybe co-founder. Yeah, uh, okay. no. Ben Ben is is uh, as far as I can tell, not Indian. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we so the challenge for us is we had just opened up our West Coast office. Actually, we hadn't quite opened it up. We were, we were originally, if you go back twenty years ago, Bain Capital Ventures was primarily in Boston. It was an uh, East Coast firm. Yeah, you know, East Coast. Which East Coast and, thinking is yeah, slightly different. Yeah, very different. And um, and don't so, tell me you got okay boomered. Yeah, yeah I, I did not. But I. <laughs> I moved out here, you know, got the office up and running, and at the time we were not writing seed checks. And ah. Ben Silverman was raising a million dollars, a million, a million dollars. Oh. First, I know, first so five fun, million post. You know, I, I can't even remember the pie. I probably be, erased it from my brain. No, at that time um, period, it would yeah, be a five yeah, million. Would be exactly. The this was like twenty ten. Yeah, five million six. Um, and seed was not something we did oh. as a firm we were very focused series you cared a, about the stage you know, we cared about the stage uh um, why do vcs and, care about the stage there's a good jump off point why are they so obsessed some of yeah. them with stage yeah as opposed to how great because the way i look at it is, is this is a great founder and do the customers love this product and is the product exceptional that's, that's right. what i look at that's right but Definitely. why are some of them stage well i think obsessed i think there's there are good reasons for it which from are the standpoint that what an entrepreneur expects and the level of service and commitment and value add that you have to deliver at Series A, um, you know, that involves a certain amount of time. Mm. Um, that level of service, commitment, and value add is very different at Series C or Series D. Ah. Um, and so if you've built your practice and services and value add and everything else around Series A, mm. um, and then you try and apply it against, you know, these other stages... You know, it's hard to make that work. Mm. And frankly, part of the reason we do seeds today is the seeds today are very much like the A's of 10 years ago. Right. You know, we used to, our typical Series A a decade ago was three to $5 million right. on a PowerPoint. For 20% you know, of you know, the company. For, for 20% of the company. Sometimes 30. Behind a, you know, one founder, two founders. Yep. But it was typically at the idea stage and almost always it was pre-product market fit. Right. Now today, the Series A's are happening at a million dollars of ARR. There's product market yeah, sometimes fit. Sometimes two or three. You know, sometimes two or three. I mean, I get and a lot so, of no's on our portfolio companies that have two million, three million, and they're crazy. like, yeah, not enough for a Series that's A. And crazy. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's crazy. And yeah. then, you know what they do? They skip yeah. rounds. They're like, okay, we'll just be profitable yeah, and exactly. be a Pegasus. Yeah, just go straight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, why, yeah, why do it? Fly over. Um, and so that's why we're doing seats today because, you know, it truly is- Smallest check size you're at? You know, we'll write um, 250K. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but that yeah. means you have to give that company the same amount of attention as somebody you gave five million to. You cannot, as the VC, it's be hard. Like, it's hard. If you call me, yeah. I'm going to cut the. I'm going to make the phone call one twentieth. You can't do it. You can't do because it because one twentieth. The, the check expectation size. is if I'm taking money from Bain Capital Ventures, there's a level of value add and services and my and the brand and access to the Bain network and our companies that has to be equal. all of that. You know, and so that 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 that's why historically firms have been stage yeah. focused. Now, I think number one, the world's changed. The lines are blurry now. You know, what is a series A or C or series B anymore? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Each company, it's very different, it's very bespoke. Um, and I think our mode, uh, you know, has been that, look, we want to invest in the best companies. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have areas of expertise across our partnership. And if we can find that company at seed series A, great. We'd prefer to do that. We'd prefer to get involved early. But you're not going to see every company at seed and series A. And sometimes we make mistakes, you know, where Ooh, we see nice a company. To, it's nice know. to get into a company after you made a mistake. Yeah. Which have you done that with a company where you passed on an early round and were able to get in on the series B or C and, and make up for think. the sin yeah. of omission, as we say. Sins yeah. in our business are the misses. It's Definitely. omission, not commission. It's not like you did something bad. It's that you didn't do something good. Definitely. Well, you know, my partner, Jameson Hill, invested in a, a killer company that is a marketplace for 
on-demand um, you know, gig workers, and, and particularly in the industrial space and warehousing supply chain, which we were talking about earlier, there's constant fluctuation demand and yes. need for folks. And so this company, Winolo, which we saw- Oh my God, we've you know, used them. Yeah, no, it's great. And we saw it in the seed and series A round yeah, I and did not do it. Yeah, um, and so my partner, Jameson, led around you know, uh, about a year and a half ago. But yeah. I, I And now was, Uber's doing a work kind of thing. They're getting right. in on it too. Yeah, no, exactly. You know what we used it for when we would have events? Yep. The registration desk That's on right. the first day would exactly. be 20 people. Totally. You know what the registration desk on the second day is? Yeah. Two. Two, exactly. So how do we staff that? We don't totally. have that. We would put That's all right. 10 of our team members on the front desk and nobody be inside the conference. Exactly. We put the price at $20 an hour, yeah. sometimes 25 That's right. And then we get more than enough applicants. Absolutely. They want the four hours of work, exactly. five hours of work. They totally. want the quick 125 Exactly. Um, Sequoia famously yeah. did like every round of WhatsApp. Yeah. Preemptively funded them. Yeah. You guys have this giant bankroll. Yeah. Do you talk about that internally and have you ever done it? We have done it. Um, you know, How do you make that decision to do it? Because it seems unhygienic yeah. to many people for you to just keep putting money in. And it feels like as an investor, if this thing blows up, you made five bets, you covered your own tracks, it could look really bad. Yeah, the, the cases we've done it, it have been a combination of, you know, clearly we have huge conviction in the company, but the founder also wants us to do it. So we, we've oh. never been in a situation where we are, you know, shoving the term sheet down the founder's throat. There are cases where the founder wants to do it. And a good, you know, good example company I was involved with, you know, we, we led the Series A to a robotics company called Kiva Systems. You know, of they course. were the Kiva's original giant. pioneer. You know, that Wait, did Amazon buy them? Amazon bought them. Amazon they bought them. They do the little baby robots that yeah. drive boxes around. Yeah, exactly. So they're what, you know, mixed innovation. He was at Webvan way back when. And, and <laughs> Webvan, yeah, wow. the, yeah, he was at now Webvan. And he was in the distribution center. He's like, all right, the math doesn't work. It costs $30 to pick and pack the groceries. It should cost 10 I can't figure out how to get from 30 down to 10 and his insight, when he was thinking about it, he left Webvan, he was at another startup, and one day on a napkin, he figures out this insight that, you know, 70 to 80% of the fulfillment worker's time is spent walking. Oh, and then only wow. 20 to 30% is actually picking and packing. So if all the stuff and came so to a if, desk, if the, they could just pack it. Exactly. If the shelves came to the worker, Amazing. and you had mobile shelves with robots bringing the shelf to the worker, then all of a sudden, you do a couple things. Number one, you're essentially virtualizing the physical storage because mm -hmm. you don't really care which items on what shelf and where that shelf is in the yeah. warehouse because the robot's just going to bring it to you. And so you can be very intelligent now of saying, you know what, the Easter candy, no one wants the Easter candy the day after Easter. So we're going to put that shelf all the way in the far back of yep. the warehouse. But the week we before- We can figure the shelves in real time. Yeah, you oh, can figure it out- So you just kept plowing money yeah. into that. And so what happened What did was, you own at the end? 30, 40%? We owned almost 40%. And yeah. each round, Mick would, you know, the company was a Boston-based company. Mick would come out to Silicon Valley- People would be like, it's hardware, it's robots, it's hard, like, it's uh, hard. you know, we're not interested. Amazon's going to kill you. You know, and so he'd come back with, you know, term sheets that he was kind of like, okay, you know what, Bain, we love you guys, just, why don't you guys just match this term I sheet doing I got. It. I started know? doing it. I did. Yeah. I offered five or six of our companies, we just watched their revenue, and the revenue yeah. doubles in six months or yeah. less. I'm like, okay, yeah. revenue doubles six months That's or less, right. let me know, totally. hit the button, my team hits exactly. the button, and we have a discussion about it. Absolutely. We're like, let's offer the founder 500K, a million dollars, and see if they want extra totally. capital. But, you know, to be honest, we don't, it's not a, a standard practice for us, right. for all the reasons you mentioned, which is, you know, number one, part of the reason we like investing in Series A is we want to get to that 20% ownership then, and then just be aligned with the founder, which is, okay, we're on the same side as you now. We we have 20, we have our threshold ownership, you have your threshold ownership. Now we're on the same side of future capital, let's figure out, let's minimize dilution, let's get the yeah. right partner. We're all on the same side. The moment, I think as a firm, and, you know, certainly we have access to a lot of capital, we have this incentive to start shoving money down the throat of the founder that puts us at misalignment with the founder and so that's the beauty of getting involved early we're on the same side right. etc here we go masayoshi san coming in with a checkbook that nobody's ever seen at that scale even bain which has a hundred billion but in all different pockets you you have deep pockets but you yourselves never took the audacity that masayoshi san did with vision fund one is Vision Fund a net positive for founders and our industry and the venture capital centers like you and I, or is it a net negative? Would you like to see two more Vision Funds participate if they were created by crazy maniacs who could pull off raising $100 billion? Or do you think that's what the public market should do? What do you personally think, Ajay? I think the concept of the... Let's separate the concept from the execution. Okay, the concept, concept of the Vision Fund, 
I think it's a really good concept because there Why? are because there are businesses, and Amazon's a good example of this. There are businesses that require a huge amount of capital investment uh, in order to get to either the scale or the network that finally allows you to see the kind of profitability mm. that you want to see. And in the era that Amazon went public, you could go public in that era before you had before you prove that mm. before it was proven out in this year you cannot you cannot go public without having proved that out and in in some cases and uber is a good example and others where it just takes a sheer amount of time effort and money to get to a scale where all of a sudden the magic of the business model finally comes through and so this idea of of really filling in this space in the market, which historically, you know, companies like Apple and Microsoft went public at 30 million of revenue. Mm. Um, and now company, the average company that went public the last two years is 300 million. Mm. So you think about that period from 30 to 300 million where, you know, uh, these companies need capital. And particularly yeah. when you think about SaaS as one example, where the average SaaS company needs $200 million yeah. of capital because you're not getting paid up front. And so I think that concept of, late stage capital that can fill the mm. gap and particularly for some of these transformational businesses that it's going to take a decade before you finally realize oh wow that's a great business i mean think about amazon and and what a great business it is today yeah it's been a 20 25 year people journey. hated it yeah people, people hated, hated netflix too exactly netflix when they said we're going to make our own content people were like that's oh, right that's the end of netflix that's the end of netflix by totally. the way that was the starting line that was the starting line and so i think the concept of it makes a ton of sense yeah we can okay let's talk know, about yeah. execution on the yeah. margins they make this Uber bet. Yeah. Uber goes public. The public markets are like, you guys are growing 30%, whatever. Yeah. Uh, no, we want profits. It can never yeah. be profitable. The press is going crazy. Never be profitable. Yeah. You and I are sitting here. Yep. We do this for a living. Yep. We look at the numbers and we go yeah. 1.7 billion rides. Yeah. Losing money, but yeah. growing like a week. Yeah. And we're, we're in the first inning, yeah. second inning of yeah. transportation. Totally. What would you, don't you want high growth? Yeah. Who cares if it loses a little bit of money? Yeah. But the press creates this narrative, it can never make money. Yeah. And they force the CEO to say, you know what? We're going to start cutting our investment yeah. and we're going to start cutting offices. We're going to start selling units away and we'll get to profitability. Stock goes crazy. Which would you rather have seen them do? Continue the growth march, burning capital for another five years, 10 years. Would you rather see them doing what they're doing now, which is react to the press and the public markets and get to profitability? What do you think with Uber specifically was the right move? You must talk about this internally. Sure. Were you guys in yeah, Uber at all? We were not in Left? Uber. Left? No, we were not in ride sharing. I wish we were. Yeah. We were not in ride sharing. Uh, so what do you think that this is a good outcome? Or maybe should Uber have to stay private for another five years and just kept trading shares? Because I was able to liquidate some shares. Yum, yum. Yep. De definitely. I don't yeah, need to be view. looking at yeah. my phone every day yeah. watching the press right. go crazy. The press yeah. is so dumb. Yeah. I mean, it's just, un um, I'll say it, not you, yeah. but- they, they have 10% of the information. Yeah. And this is why I'm I'm a little bit, and I'm going to talk about it with yeah. Kara Swisher on her podcast, that the press needs to do a better job. Yeah. Because if a company has 1.7 billion rides in a quarter yeah. and they lose a billion dollars or whatever it is, and if you take out some of the stuff that's like one-time charge or whatever, maybe it's less, but let's just call it if they were losing a billion. Uh, do you think behavior is going to change if an Uber on average is 50 cents more or a dollar more per ride? Maybe for 5%, the bottom 5% is not going to change for everybody else. They're not changing their behavior. If Amazon raised prices 10% right now, 5% right now, let's just put it at 5 or 10%. Do you think people would change their behavior? I mean, do you know what Amazon Prime is now? It's, it's insane. It's $150 a year, I think. Yeah, yeah. When we all bought Amazon Prime, the initial price it was 49 and then 59 That's with the introductory right. prices. Yep. They've tripled it in like a right. decade. Totally. Nobody, I ask people yeah. what they pay for Prime. You know what they say? They don't I know. don't know. They don't know. And they don't care. Yep. If Amazon Prime was three hundred dollars right yeah. now, I don't think it changes. Yeah. I don't think it changes. Well, I think this is the. I think this is exactly the point. I think Amazon is the most instructive. Where, you know, Bezos and Amazon run the company and they make decisions not based on what the unit economics look today. They base it on where they think the unit economics will get to once they get to scale. And Prime yeah. is a great example where they basically said, "Where do we think the unit economics will be?" of delivering something on t in two days, a decade from now. A decade? A decade from now, you know, with the investment, with yeah. scale, with density, with yeah. Kiva robots, Amazing. with all the things that yep. they put in place. Um, where are the, should we stop?
Yeah. We keep going? No, no, it's great. <laughs> we, we, for those yeah. people who are listening, I'll, I'll bring you into yeah. it. We're in the studio. Our neighbors are doing some construction. We do, They told them they give us 15 minutes more, and 15 minutes is we up. We hit 15 minutes. All right. Ajay, um, we got to get next door, and we got to help yeah. them put in the Let's new- uh, We got to put yeah. in the new I'm chandelier. Uh, so we told them we'd help them put the yeah, chandelier great. up after- Perfect. Uh, uh, Ajay Agarwal is a partner at Bain Capital for awesome. almost 20 years. Thank you, Jason. It's fun. Uh, thanks for coming on the yeah, pod. No, I appreciate it. And you're pretty podcast shy. You don't do a yeah, lot. I don't do a lot. You just put your head down and work. I, you know, spend time with parents founders. Parents must yeah. be so proud of you, huh? <laughs> your parents must be so proud. I'm They're still alive? I'm proud of them. My mom's still alive. Mom's still yeah, alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She must yeah. be. Wow. Yeah. What does she think of all this? You know, she's great. She's she must great. be blown she's away. She's great. No, look, you know, I mean, I think she's great. I think we're, Her myself, son and my is sisters. A venture capitalist, look, a we're, capital. I mean, this is like, you went from, in one generation, India, London, and then here to Silicon Valley, and in the top, the, the best seat you could have in terms of careers, like one of the five or six best seats you could have in the world. You did it. Ajay, oh, look, you did it. It's... I get to do what I love. I think that's the most important thing. I think that's, you know, yeah. we're, my, myself, my sisters, we're healthy. Yeah, that's We've, good. You know, got good families. I think that's really what matters. Of course. And so, but it's also nice for mom to look at this and dad from up above, rest in peace, to see what you did, Ajay. You did it. You did Thanks, it. buddy. All Appreciate right. it. Good we'll to see, see you. See you all next time on Angel the Podcast. Bye bye, everybody.